Hello, and welcome to The Century Podcast. I'm Alexander Elmore, Editor-in-Chief of The Century, welcoming our returning listeners back from our winter hiatus. On this episode, our noise editor Kennedy talks with staff writers Tommy and Victoria about 2020, a musical year in review. They'll cover the good, the bad, the ugly, everything they loved and hated, including my personal favorite album of the year, Taylor Swift's Folklore. So plug your headphones in, turn your amps up to 11, and let's get started. Hello, everybody. I'm Kennedy. I am the noise editor here at The Century. And today I'm joined by Tommy and Victoria, staff writers here at The Century. If y'all want to introduce yourself. Cool. I'm Tommy Clift, and I'm a staff writer with The Century. Hi, my name is Victoria, and I am a writer and photographer for CU Century, and this is our podcast. Today we're going to be talking about whatever happened in the music industry last year, whether it be good, bad, and just some music that we enjoyed that came out last year as well. So hope you enjoy. So going off of the calendar, if we're recapping music in 2020, it's been obviously a pretty tragic year, probably the most tragic for the music industry since, you know, I I can't even think of a time that was as devastating it'd be interesting to compare it to like yeah the great depression and stuff like that but i have some stats some of them are a little old because it takes so much time but like even in just in colorado so like in the denver denver metro area i i just from some previous stuff i've written i've got that like a total job loss statewide was so it was like over eight thousand people just in the music industry which is 51 percent of the total employment and sale revenue loss of almost 345 million which is like a quarter of their annual revenue and this was collected between april and july so that's you know things have gotten a lot worse and things have stayed it's crazy shut down for some time so i can't yeah yeah For sure. I think like one thing that I was thinking of this morning was like kind of just how like the arts in this whole situation have kind of just like gotten the shit end of the stick, really, just because like, I mean, sports have basically proceeded mostly as normal. Right. Like the Super Bowl had 25,000 people in attendance. That's insane. Makes no sense. We, yeah. We have these struggling venues here that like have to sell bags of chips in order to like have socially distant shows and it's just kind of asinine how it's working out. Yeah, it feels like go ahead. Most of the support too from what I've read is just going to sports like the arts and music industry isn't getting really anything. It's getting jack shit, you know. Yeah, with the Save Our Stages Act, that was a big, like, they were working for that all year, and then it finally passed, Um, I think, sometime, actually, just last month in January. Um, Yeah. And that'll be pretty big for independent venues. But, I mean, like, there's another report here that was, um, I'm trying to find when it was released. Um, But pretty much this, it's this, like, uh, it's it's through Neva, the National Independent Venue Association, and they took this survey from all these venues, independent venues all around the country, 
and their finding was that like without relief funding, 90% of music venues across the country will go out of business within six months. And that was more or less in November that they were asserting that statistic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've already seen some venues close down in Denver, like. What venues have already closed down? Um, El Chapultepec. Yes. That one. Yeah. That Damn. one has shut down. Yeah. But yeah, like even in our issue last week, I think. Jeremiah had talked about like what it was like to even like go to a show right now like at your mom's house and just like to even stay open they have to like sell chips and things like that to make it sound like they're like a restaurant quote-unquote just so yeah I live two blocks from your mom's house and it's I've seen it like actually sounding like it's semi-open but I haven't seen how it's operating yeah So that's curious. So are they just like, are they having actual like live stuff or really just like DJs and stuff like that? I think it's a lot of that. Um, I think they've had a few live bands, but like, of course, everything is like socially distanced and everyone has to stay at their table the whole time. And it's just like not the authentic concert experience that we all know and love. Yeah. Yeah, I think... That expectation to some extent is going to have to be confronted and, and you know, like reshaped, re-entering as we just look, go into this, you know, reopening phase where it's kind of just up to every, every venue, I mean, within, you know, op- reopening guidelines. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as we enter, like, aren't we now going into, like... What is it called? Like code yellow or something? Stage yeah, yellow, we, whatever. I, we went down yeah. a level, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and so that I don't know what that'll mean for venues, but it seems it feels like this intense catch twenty two. I've interviewed a few different artists for free music for free people about just re entering the music scene and some of them you know, like one woman I was interviewing is more at risk to get the virus and yet she kind of describes being on stage as the only place where she feels like she really belongs so she's trapped in this yeah. reality of needing to make money and yeah. being afraid to do what she's passionate about yeah and i'm not i don't know i feel like it's going to be yeah. a really tricky reopening yeah regardless i definitely think there's going to be like a lot of a lot of like our normal lifestyle in the sense of like music that we have to like confront like i've read how like Ticketmaster is planning on checking to make sure that people are vaccinated once live shows start up again yeah just things like that so but it's curious to see like how how musicians are coping with this as well like like yeah. you were saying. And I think there's I, only so much we can do. I mean, there's a lot of just transitioning into like using what you have, you know, like teaching online, um, kind of refacilitating how you expect to make your money and, and how you get your art out there. And I think live shows in particular yeah. are just going to have to be 
you know, the end goal. We're going to have to get there slowly. We were talking in one of my um, class discussions in entrepreneurship about these bubble shows. Um, we saw these videos where, you know, like kind of like those um, plastic yeah. bubbles that people sometimes play um, soccer in. It's like a bigger version of that, but like you get tickets with one or two or three people and you get one bubble in this show. Yeah, I've definitely seen that. Yeah, that's. I think that's pretty fascinating. Like it's, of course, and it was fascinating to see the, the way that students in this class responded because some people were like, this is absolutely amazing. And then right below that, someone said, this is depressing as hell. Yeah. And I think it's like, that's going to be the, the crux of it to me is that it's an it's kind of an attitude game now where it's like it's this we can go on and on about these statistics about just how shitty shitty the reality is and that's not really going to go anywhere like the truth is is we are where we are because of just a really poor kind of globally aside from a few countries poor response to this pandemic and and now we just we have to resituate and be able to make adjustments within our expectations of you know live shows and being together and just how we get there and, and kind of work patiently together i feel like yeah yeah tommy have you seen the new zealand shows no that's one kind of when i was saying like some countries i feel like new zealand is one of the few that managed to yeah. Do things well. So do they have, are they like opening a bunch of like live shows again? Or? So I haven't done a lot of research into it, but everything I've been seeing about New Zealand is they're like the goal. Like their shows look normal. People are everywhere without masks. Like they all look, I don't know. Definitely would need to do some more research into it, but it looks like they've pretty much gotten through like all of those levels that we have and like reached the end goal. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of amazing because it's just a I feel like a a very clear and evident paradigm that it, it can be handled correctly because it's like while we've seen half of our country's deaths since I'm trying I think it was either November or December 1st, which is really close to where we are now compared to, you know, we're running up on a year that we've been in this pandemic and the death t the death toll has doubled in just the last few months and so i think it's kind of fascinating to see that like while we were in essentially what was the worst spikes and waves of the just the pandemic and the virus resurging there are countries that that were able to open like that again and again you do have a con like new zealand is not gonna get the same kind of traffic that the US or Europe does so for sure I that's I mean that's its own caveat but I still think it's it's just a tragedy to see how the virus wasn't taken seriously from the beginning and now we have to be constantly looking at these statistics on whether it's the music industry or something else just these massive percentages of job loss revenue loss venue closures and I, yeah. I don't know. One one interesting thing that I, I while I, this was again an interview with a, an independent artist, she was curious to see whether because it's crippling, you know, these big, you know, venue ops like Live Nation, 
whether that when these venues close down, there will be an opportunity for like an independent resurgence, you know, like independent yeah. buyers. And I, that sounded really interesting. Part of me feels like, you know, it sounds optimistic, but, but some of it is, it is interesting because, you know, I'm curious to hear what you guys think about the opportunities that might kind of come from the ashes of these devastated businesses. I honestly like, I see it going the other direction. Like I kind of, I mean, as like heart of a time Live Nation and AEG and things like that have had right now, they're nowhere close to like how these independent venues are struggling. So I honestly see like larger corporations like AEG and Live Nation continuing to like buy up these smaller independent venues. Yeah. I hate to say. And I wonder, I just, I wonder like when we finally kind of reach that end of the tunnel, like even, even though everybody's had like a really hard time, I wonder if the more independent studios and artists will even be able to buy anything like that because AAG and conglomerates like that will definitely have more money yeah than these independent artists and i think they'll maybe just become like a bigger conglomerate than anything i know that's sadly how i kind of was responding in my head when i heard the idea because it sounds so nice it's true that there will be new opportunities because it's just going to be this you know kind of life cycle almost you know of of just business structure and investment opportunity because you know when we hit this really low economic trough eventually you know all these motions to re-stimulate activity within the live industry is going to hit but i agree i'm like where where are these if if it is going to be an independent venue owner it's likely going to be someone who's coming from money or has access to money and that's if they're lucky enough to get to it before you know a shark like AEG or Live Nation gets to it yeah which to me feels tragic because it's like another another reality and that's why I think this save our stages has never been more important because it's it's this point of no return for independent venues like if they go out of business they don't get to just like hold their stakes to these venues until they can put money into it again it's like they close and then have to wait until these you know lucrative you know just or just well-funded operations can come and revive them in the name of capitalism and monopoly yeah i yeah so i before we like move on to some more positive things that have happened in the music industry i think another point to make would be when things do open back up to where we can go back to shows do we think that people will even be comfortable enough to go honestly my my response is is going to be just kind of based on what i've watched through this this last year of of um spikes is that the people who don't have any sense of how this virus affects people this uh, i mean outside of news articles and what people tell them you know if they don't have this personal experience to tie it to a lot of our younger groups and people within our demographic that just don't are le- much less likely to be 
seriously affected by it as far as we know in terms of immediate effects. We don't know how it will affect us decades down the line. But yeah. um, those people are going to go nuts and they're going to not wear masks. As soon as they don't have to, yeah. I don't think they will. And that's part of the reason that I think it'll be so important for the way they introduce this. Like the reopening guidelines through the Event Safety Alliance, they, they opened this statement. And, and one of the things they said that is interesting, so they said, as a matter of common law, everyone has a duty to behave reasonably under their own circumstances. Consequently, there is no such thing as best practices. There are only that, there are only practices that are reasonable for this venue, this event, this crowd, this time and place during this pandemic. And I think that's kind of an interesting, and this is coming from like the vice president of that alliance. And I think that's going to be the tricky part is that it's going to be up to yeah. venues and there are going to be venues owned by people who really want to just capitalize on the fatigue that everyone has. No, everyone's so tired of wearing masks. Even though, even those that know this is serious and know we should be wearing masks, we're all just super tired of it. And I think it's going to be... Yeah. There will be people who don't go to shows, the ones who've lost people, who've directly seen how intense this virus can actually be. But I think it's going to be separated more by the people's experiences yeah. and how tired they are of living this reality. I think yeah. it'll be a combination of those things. True enough. Cool. So I guess we can move on to some more positive things now of what has come out of this pandemic for music. Does anyone have any anything they want to start with? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest positive event that I can think of by far is, is seeing the Save Our Stages Act come through. That's, that's just a ton of funding that's going to be, you know, really a, a big game changer. And, and there are also, like, Colorado, I, I'm trying to remember, there's been a lot of yeah, there's a, a, a relief fund, Colorado Music Relief Fund. Call, they hosted this event called Banding Together that yeah. raised $625,000. Colorado Gives Back, which was a streaming event that the Lumineers hosted, raised another six hundred grand. Yeah. Um, and I think there's all these, these events that people are putting on because people are fighting. And I, I think a good example on a CU level is... Chris Zacker, you know, the owner of Levitt Pavilions and one of our professors. I don't know if you had him, Kennedy. I did, yeah. Yeah, great guy and and a really, you know, well-informed, just experienced person within venue operating. And I just kind of watched, even through his social media, once, once we weren't able to, because I was in his class when the pandemic hit and we got shut down like right at the very end of the project semester. And I think people like him are a great example of, of people who aren't going to just quit. Like that's, that's, that is their life, but they really enjoy doing it. And they're, they're going to see to it that, you know, we put events together and, and gather the people who want music to stay alive and, and they will keep it alive. I don't think it in the grand scheme, it might not fight the force of a pandemic and the increasing monopolies of just the economic structure we're in but I do think that that is undoubtedly like a force of positive like positivity within the country and I'm sure the world if we did more research yeah yeah I think 
going off of that too, like I think of just how like accessible music has become in that sense, like with these live streams and like the person that couldn't afford like maybe a $50 ticket to see their favorite artist can now afford a $10 ticket to see a live stream, which it's not the same thing, but it has definitely... Well, it's so interesting, yeah. though. Because, like, where would we be without without that? I think that recent the recent article I just did with Sam Burt, they, they were just talking about how the reason they are in music and the reason they create anything is really because of technology. And I think yeah. that's same with this. Like, it's... This, if this pandemic had happened in a reality where we didn't have technology to sub in or streaming platforms, I, you know, I just, I don't know that it would, it might be even more devastating in almost a, an unsalvageable way. Cause it's crazy that you can raise, even in the state of Colorado, which I guess Denver's a, a, a big city, but outside of that, there's not that many big places and they're still raising over half a million dollars in very brief windows of time yeah. just by getting on solid events like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And something that I want to add to that too is um, thinking about it without without any of the technology that we had today and with the pandemic going on, the arts are what people are using, you know, to keep themselves sane and to like just totally. remain in this world. And I think a lot of artists are using this pandemic they're not really letting it bring themselves down, if that makes sense. They're kind of using it as a step forward and a source of inspiration because of how yeah. difficult it's been and a source of hope for other people, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. Harnessing their craft or working on, you know, kind of to transition into some of the, the music releases. I've just Some of these artists have taken, you know, the chance to release really large albums and collaborations and once again collaborations that are only possible thanks to technology and the ability to to still get to your fan base when like you said artists are, are I think capitalizing on this time hopefully and and honestly I think people are getting hungrier and hungrier for music like we're all missing live music but in the meantime like you said to stay sane we're all trying to find ways that we can still chew on on art and music and visual arts while staying hopefully you know as safe as we can yeah yeah so is there any like music you want to talk about or point out or yeah i mean within going directly off my last point yeah i i grabbed a few off the top of my head you know there were a lot of a lot of like single releases you know like anderson pack released lockdown tyler the creator brought out best interest which was definitely very um still very themed like igor in terms of production which i thought was interesting because it's the the last the most recent time i've heard him since that album yeah and i was wondering where he was going to go after that but and then also tom mish i've always loved tom mish released an album, What Kind of Music, with Yusuf Days. The 2020 album was pretty sweet, and I loved seeing that he was still busting out music this year. And then also, the last one I would mention is Jacob Jacob Collier released another volume of this series he's been doing with a ton of singles and a lot of sweet collaborations. And I would just, Jacob Collier, I feel like, just deserves praise for his 
his versatility as like a musician and collaborator and just an artist. Like he plays so many instruments. He's this absolute wizard on piano and his, his ability yeah. theoretically is just ridiculous. But he's always willing to just like have fun with new tracks and kind of break out of the realm of, of what he's been doing genre-wise and then do something completely different and be just as powerful as a musician and, and just as unique but in a completely new way. Cool. Thank you, Tommy. Victoria, what music do you have that you want to talk about that came out last year? Yeah, so last year I think there was, even with everything going on, there were a lot of great releases. Of course, the classic WAP was a good release, even though it caused a uproar. I think that was part of why it was such a good release. And then there were a couple really great albums that came out. There was, ooh, I can't even say the name of it, but it was By Bad Bunny. And that was a really good album. And then Eternal Wake by Little Lil Uzi Vert finally came out and that was like a work in progress for years. He's been working on that album since 2018, so it was it was a long time coming, and I think 2020 was a pretty good time for it to drop. And then, of course, my favorites, Glass Animals. They dropped their album Dreamland, and they were actually supposed to come to Red Rocks last year for that album, but that was fantastic. It's a masterpiece. All the, I think they're pretty original each time they release something, and all of it was definitely a step forward for them and experimenting and sound and just a step forward and with their band and their level and music you know cool yeah i think like when we're talking about 2020 music i think we have to talk about folklore by taylor swift <laughs> i felt like she was doing the most last year just because so many artists had postponed their albums and put off their releases and things like that just because they can't like tour and promote them to help with sales and things like that. But Taylor just disagreed and <laughs> like released two albums last year. And I enjoyed Folklore more than Evermore, but mm. it's just how I feel. And then my favorite album from last year was probably Chip Chrome and the Monotones by The Neighborhood. I think it's one of their best albums to date. Definitely better than their last one, but it was just a really great, fun release to end out the year last year. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for listening. This has been The Century Podcast. Thank you guys for joining me today. Of course, I hope everybody has a great day and keep on vibing. Thank you, Kennedy. Yeah, so let's just hope that later this year and next year are better for the music industry and hopefully that this year is just as good for music releases as it was last year. The Century Podcast is executive produced by Tej Boland, Natasha Sherrod, and Tirza Watts. It is produced by Alexander Elmore and Kennedy Earhart. Episodes are edited and mixed by Kennedy Earhart. This episode was written by Kennedy Earhart, Tommy Clift, and Victoria Moffat, and was recorded via Discord using our reporter's own equipment. We'd like to give a special thanks to the regents of the University of Colorado, our chancellor, Dr. Michelle Marks, the students of the University of Colorado Denver, whose student fees partially pay for this production, and to you, our listeners. I'm Alexander Elmore, this has been The Century Podcast, 
And did you know that the 2005 film Walk the Line, based on the life of Johnny Cash, was screened for inmates of Folsom Prison 38 years after Cash performed and recorded his At Folsom Prison album there? Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.